if you're a visionary and you're not the necess necessarily the greatest executor, um, that's not that's not necessarily a showstopper. You, you got to figure out how to build that team of collaborators um, to help you move things forward. Hi, I'm Shannon Lucas. I'm one of the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. And I'm Justin Scott Campbell. I am a DEI consultant and leadership executive coach. This is our podcast, Catalyzing, Catalyzing a Culture, culture of, inclusion. of Inclusion, where we highlight catalysts who have taken the brave step of moving into DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, leadership in large organizations. We hope this mini-series is a space of learning, encouragement, and ultimately community and connection. If you're new to DEI and or the world of Catalysts, we hope you'll enjoy. We're so excited today and really honored to have Blair Taylor with us. Thanks for joining us, Blair. You're more than welcome, Shannon. Good to be here. Good to be here, Justin. Thank you. Blair leads right now Accenture's North America Inclusion, Diversity and Equity practice with more than 25 years of experience across the private, public and nonprofit sectors. Blair's career and passion revolve around finding innovative, innovative and scalable ways to help organizations develop their own people and the communities with, with, with which they are a part of. Prior to joining Accenture, Blair was a partner at PricewaterhouseCooper, PwC, where he served as the lead partner for the US diversity and inclusion practice. Before that, he was the Chief Executive Officer of My Brother's Keeper Alliance, uh, and we'll put a video to an, uh, the link to an incredible video in the show notes. It was a nonprofit launched by then President Obama, um, and in his role there, Blair led one of the nation's most dynamic and ambitious BIPOC initiatives, engaging leading corporations, nonprofits, elected officials to advance low-income communities and populations. Before that, Blair was a member of the Starbucks Coffee's Company leadership team, where he led the company's corporate social responsibility strategy, community affairs, and government affair functions, while also serving as the EVP of Starbucks Global Human Resources and the president of Starbucks Foundation. Blair, do you ever sleep? <laughs> Every now and then. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, it's been so great to, to learn more about you as we've uh, prepared for this conversation. Uh, we, we want to start off with the first question being, you know, how do you as a DEIB leader relate to the concept of being a catalyst and even just kind of double clicking on that idea around your work. Uh, and, and from what I have, have, have seen centering on this idea of moving from theory into practice, how, how do we actualize a lot of this work as we talk to leaders sometimes the question becomes, how do I move from the books and the theory. Uh, into practices and best practices. Are there even best practices available? You know, and so um, as you think about you know yourself as a leader uh, and perhaps as a catalyst, uh, we're curious how you relate to those. Yeah, I really appreciate that question. Listen, I I, I think it does it does start with vision. I, I mean, we have to we have to be honest, right? Like you, the the vision is what gets people excited. It's what um, unlocks the possibility for uh, involvement from high quality and talented people. So it does start with the vision. And you know whether that's a vision that's put on paper, whether that's a vision that's articulated in some other way. Um, and, and I think the point you're raising though is you know how do you, how do you get from, from that to the actualization of this, which is, which is a huge step. And I will tell you, um, you know, there are, there are many who are great at the vision part 
and less so at the actualization. And I think, you know, the, the biggest thing for me in, in recognizing that um, is, to, is the whole notion of building a great team of people, right? Like the, the collaborators matter in, 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 a, in a catalyst kind of situation. And we've got, we've got incredibly talented people. And this, this gets back to the whole notion of building a diverse team, right? Because um, diversity is what amplifies different perspectives, what allows you to bring in points of view that are going to move things forward in a, with a, a totally different, uh, in a totally different manner and with a totally different degree of success than you will if you have a monolithic group. This is why it's so important and why I consistently look to build uh, very diverse teams of people, um, bringing not just different backgrounds, but different points of view, different experiences, um, and, and then really ensuring that you have in that team um, those who are focused on you know, putting the building blocks together, right? So if you're, if you're the visionary catalyst, you gotta have somebody or somebody's who are really good at taking that vision and figuring out how to create an executional plan and strategy and helping you to go after pulling that together. And, and to be honest with you, there've been times where, you know, I've put together some catalytic uh, idea and I've, I've brought in consulting teams or somebody else to help me think about how do I bring this to life, you know, within this particular organization or within this complicated community, right? And, and that often requires what I call the collective IQ, which is, you know, the collective IQ is always smarter than the smartest person in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. how do you tap into that um, um, as, a, as a catalytic leader to move things forward? So I think, I, you know, if you're a visionary and you're not a necess necessarily the greatest executor, um, that's, not, that's not necessarily a showstopper. You got to figure out how to build that team of collaborators uh, to help you move things forward. That's spot on. And what we talk about with catalyst leaders, and I often need like a couple people on my team, like a VP of operations and a chief of staff, doesn't mean that you're not the like get stuff done person. It means that you're very intentional about knowing what your your skills and strengths are in building that team around you to, to execute it. It also, I think, doesn't mean that you're not a catalyst. It just means that you want to bring people who are going to help amplify the work. We can't do it by ourselves alone anyway, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, and, the, and the big picture thinking is hard to come by too. I mean, you know, the, the true visionary who can get people excited about something that is a breakthrough, um, it, that's, not, that's not easy to come by. That's, that's a hard person to find. So you don't wanna say that that skill and that ability, um, which is invaluable, can't be can't can't be linked to the operating side to make that right. vision it's such a great transition i mean so we you know the podcast focuses on skills and so i'm wondering like what are one or two essential skills that have made you successful in all of the incredible impact that you've had and maybe sharing some stories about like how did you learn that that skill was important maybe there's times where you realized it because you failed and you're like if i had only done that thing i would have been even more successful yeah well you know i think I think number one is, is being optimistic and, and honestly believing that we face a lot of problems in this world and particularly in our country right now, but the problems are actually solvable. Like if, if you start from there, that you, you don't let yourself get so bogged down in, 
you know, the, the negative energy and the, the world is coming to an end and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. So, so the optimism piece is critical and I don't mean Pollyannish and, you know, just believing that everything is wonderful, but I mean, really saying, Hey, what's that problem? Let's pick it apart. Let's figure out a team of people who want to go after it and let's try to solve it. Um, and, and not necessarily even on the periphery, right? I mean, there's some big issues that we're grappling with. I mean, you know them, homelessness and inequity and, and you know, racial injustices and um, poverty and educational crises and issues around, uh, uh, you know, infrastructure and, I mean, on and on and on. I mean, but, but you know what? Um, if you just come at it and say, these things are actually, we can actually figure out solutions to this stuff. Okay, and and by the way, people have solved more complex problems than than those in the past. All right, so so there's a, there's automatically something that 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 triggers that opens up the doors in the realm of possibility. Get a bunch of like-minded people in a room to solve a problem, and I honestly believe every problem we face can be solved. So so that's the first thing. Second thing is what we just talked about, which is collaboration. Um, you know, I I do not try to solve things by myself. I, I mean, I may come up with a big picture and a vision, but I immediately go to bringing a great group of people together and, and trying to solve things. Um, the third thing is, you know, I, I, <laughs> I have learned over the course of my career, somebody asked me recently, what, what's the most important skill that you have or that you've developed? And, uh, you know, you can think about interpersonal skills, you can think about all of the things that you've learned, knowledge, all of those things. It, 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 in my experience, it boils down to selling. And, and I don't mean that, you know, sometimes that selling is seen as a four letter word, but I mean it in the context of being able to convince others of your ideas, being able to articulate in a meaningful way um, so that others, and, and in an intelligible way, so that others can grasp the concepts and being able to be comfortable on your feet in front of audiences, those are, those are, if I had to distill, like, if you can't do that, it's very hard to bring people along with you. I'm not saying it's impossible. I've just found it's very hard. And so, um, and then the, the, the last thing I'd say is, you know, we talked about being, you know, action oriented um, and, and really thinking about uh, uh, how to move things from, from where they are conceptually to bringing them to life, right? Um, uh, good ideas are actually out there and they're kind of a dime a dozen. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be blunt. They really are. I mean, there are tons of good ideas. The ability to take an idea and bring it to fruition, um, as we said, with building the right team and the right strategy and the right approach and understanding the market conditions, um, that is a different kind of thing. And understanding the nuances too, right? Timing is everything. And sometimes an idea is ahead of its time. Um, understanding where, where and how something would be accepted by a marketplace. Um, not underestimating your own success. I mean, I'll just tell you a quick story. I, I, I was an entrepreneur years ago and I opened up a, a store um, and we, we completely underestimated the success of the store. <laughs> Um, when we, and we thought like, we're going to have success, but we had no idea. When we opened the store, there were lines around the store, uh, two or three deep. And, wow. um, <laughs> and it was so successful that we didn't have enough people to sell the product to the, to the customers who were coming in. 
And there was a woman, never forget this, who literally looked our salesperson in the face and said, I will never come back in this store again. This was the worst experience I've ever had. So we didn't anticipate, we didn't properly anticipate our own success for our great idea. You know, the catalytic idea, opening up this store in this area that really needed it, you know, as part of an urban development strategy, et cetera. And, and it failed because we got out of the, got out of the gates wrong. We should have had soft grand openings. We should have done more market testing and understood how many people would show up when we opened the door, right? So, so even something as, as basic as anticipating the success that you have, people sometimes underestimate success and that can yeah. lead to failure, right? As, as yeah. curious as that may sound. So I think there's a lot of um, analytics that go into this um, in, in terms of getting that idea from, from concept to launch. And yeah. I think that's where a lot of people struggle, right? And as we said earlier, if you struggle with that, how do you surround yourself? And I've got this principle, surround yourself with greatness, right? I tell my kids all the time, if you just surround yourself with great people who are going somewhere, guess what? You're going to go there with them <laughs> by, oh, okay. by, by inertia, by you know, relative connection, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it, right? If you surround it, you know, I, I, I was in, I teach, uh, classes periodically at, at business schools and the like. And I said, you know, to a group of people, you're all leaders in this room. You're all leaders. I don't care what you're doing right now. Lead from where you are. You are a leader. See yourself as a leader. But if you're a leader and you ever look around and you realize you're surrounded by knuckleheads, you know, you say <laughs> knucklehead, 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 knucklehead. Guess what? Knucklehead, right? I mean, <laughs> on the other hand, if you surround yourself with greatness, Right? You say, great, fantastic, unbelievable thinker, right? Don't be intimidated by that. I mean, That's right. I, don't ever be intimidated by surrounding yourself with people who have ambitions that are higher than yours or IQs that are higher than yours. Like bring that to the table because it's going to elevate your game. So all of those are pieces, um, Shannon, that, that, um, that I found along the way have been incredibly helpful. Amazing. Yeah. And I, you already answered part of the last question, which was like, how do you get ready for effectively anticipating that that success that you're talking about? And you gave some great examples. The last one, I just have to say, my mom's gave me this advice, which was just go straight to the top. Like I was interested in a methodology called depreciative inquiry, and they, they had worked in that dynamic. And I was like, who should I talk to? And they're like, well, David Cooper writer wrote the book, reach out to him. The worst that can happen is he passes you to the number two person. And now you're working with the number two person in the field, which is what happened, right? Right, right. Um, that's, Justin, that's did you have a question? Advice, Sorry. That's great. That's absolutely 100% right. Like, and you find it when you're in the world of business and you're dealing with organizations, you know, go as high as you possibly can, straight to the CEO if possible, straight to the founder, straight to the person who came up with the idea quite often. Um, not always, but quite often you'll find that they're willing to talk to you, right? If you come in and, and that's back to those selling skills and really being that's able right. to articulate your own vision and why you need to have a conversation with them. But that is the way that I have met people, you know, leading all the way up to the president of the United States is, is to having that kind of um, audacity, I guess, in a What's way, fun? right? Maybe yeah. You know, to get through, get through the, the gauntlet, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go yeah. back to the first, sorry, go ahead. Justin. I just had a quick question. Yeah. Or follow-up. I think one of the things I heard you talking about too, in the story, um, well, let me, I'll frame it this way. I think with a lot of maybe younger DEI leaders, there's a lot of pressure um, 
to not make mistakes, especially in their roles. Like uh, there's not a lot of room for error, perhaps. Um, and so, but I heard you speaking about how sometimes you do things and you don't know that they're not going to work out the way you think they are. And then you learn, you know, what you learn from the fact that it didn't work out. And so uh, I think I, I just wanted to pull that piece out too for folks maybe who are feeling like in their roles, there's this kind of like, I got to do it right. I can't, there's no room to make mistakes. And so maybe I don't take a risk or maybe I don't go forward with an initiative because I, and maybe if you wanted to speak to that, uh, the learning from experience part um, versus the perfectionism that sometimes comes through uh, when, when having these roles with, when you feel like there's not a lot of room for error um, from the top down in, in the space. Yeah. So let me just say this. Perfectionism is paralyzing. It, it absolutely perfectionism is paralyzed. Like if you're going to, if your standard is perfectionism on every single thing that you do, you will be paralyzed from, from really breaking glass and having breakthroughs in your life. Failure uh, is, is part of the journey. And, you know, you'll, you'll hear great leaders all the time talk to you about um, how much more you, they learned failing than they did when they were successful. And it's so true. It's hard lessons, right? But it's so true. I, I have an expression that I've used with teams of mine over the years that failure in and of itself is not failure. Repeated failure is failure, right? So if you, if you keep failing at the same thing over and over and over, that at some point it's like, yeah, this is, this is kind of failure, right? But, but to fail, learn the lessons, adjust, make the course corrections and and go at it and you know get to the next level not maybe not the the pinnacle of success yeah i i i'll just look at i'll look at diversity equity inclusion for just one second right we've been at this work as a nation for 40 years we are so far from perfect like if if i said the right. standard was perfection i can pick out one company not right. one Right. <laughs> Every single week, not one that has achieved perfection. So if that's our standard, we're, we might as well pack it in and go home. Right. Because that's that is we we're getting we're making for the most part, making progress, iterative steps, maybe not fast enough. People can critique that. I know I do. Um, but, you know, it's an iterative journey. Right. And you can always set the North Star of that's our aspiration. Yeah, but perfection can be paralyzing if if that and 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 I agree with you. Too many people feel like I can't step out of the, my my comfort zone because I'm so afraid that if I fail, it will be the end of my journey. Take risks, right? Take smart risks. Take risks that will that have a large reward with less of a I I lose everything. Don't go to Las Vegas and bet it all on number seven. Okay, that's not mm -hmm. what that's not what we're saying here. Don't mm -hmm. won't run across the freeway at rush hour and see if you can make it. Okay, <laughs> those aren't smart risks. But take risks in your career. Take risks in in your in your job and your vocation. Think outside of the box about solutioning and problem solving. And and as I said, surround yourself with other people who have the same kind of aspirations and intentions to solve the problem not just incrementally address it. And you'll find, yes, there'll be times when you don't succeed, but that thing will keep moving forward um, to a point where you will have some breakthroughs. 
I think it's such an important point. And I want to build on what Justin said and connect something you had said earlier. We're kind of in this backlash moment. Like we saw what just happened with Target, right? And if you talk about, because we have catalysts who are in all sorts of different roles, UX leaders, CMOs, innovation people. If people, like, let's take innovation. If people take a test, uh, smart calculated risk and innovation and they fail, the impact is probably small. You might get less budget, less team, you've lost some credibility, but no one's going to say we never need innovation again. And it certainly isn't activating people's identity, personal identity across the organization. And so I'm wondering if you have, because I, I, I see that's part of the challenge with the DEI leaders is like the intentionality with, if, we do, if you make a wrong step, you've really triggered something that's deep in people. Maybe you've actually helped or not you know, accelerated some of the backlash. And so I'm just wondering if you have any specifics about places that you think DEI leaders should be taking risks or how you've navigated those those difficult conversations before. Yeah, so so this is a subject where there's a lot of fear and consternation, right? Because it is a it, it can be a very charged subject, particularly when yeah. you get into matters of race, right? So this is, it, it's really important that you, you understand history, you understand what the facts of the matter are, and you take the pulse of, for example, your people and the populations that you want to be a mm. part of, right? Or you want to help support. <clears throat> and so, you know, this is where empathy matters, right? Yeah. The, the E word matters. Like, and I think that's one of the big things that's missing um, in corporate America today. And, and it's not, if you, if you decide to go charging into ID&E and espousing theories that you have that are untested or have not been, you know, you haven't communicated with others about, and you, and you're, you're liable to get yourself in trouble. I mean, it is, you know, and it, and it's a topic where, you know, people have been doing this work for 20, 25 years and they have really good insights and good opinions right. on what works and what doesn't. And if you want to bypass them and throw your theory of change into the mix, I just know you're doing that at your own risk. Okay. I mean, it's, a, it's right. like anything else. I mean, I, I, I could go over to Russia today and espouse theories on, you know, the war in the Ukraine and I'd, I'd be laughed out of the room. I don't, I mean, it's just not or put like, in jail. Oh, yeah. put in jail. Right. I mean, yeah. there's no consequences for, for talking about things that you just don't have any knowledge or understanding. So, yeah. so steep, Seep yourself in, steep yourself in knowledge, seek out an opportunity to really understand what's going on. And, and I've seen CEOs who've done this. I've been up and close to and personal to CEOs who said, you know what? I don't know anything about this subject. Yes. I, I, I don't even know where to start. Okay. I, I grew up in an all white community. Uh, my neighbors are all white. My country clubs, mo almost all white. My kids go to an all white school an issue of race, I want to understand it. What do I do? Right. And that's where you direct them to, Hey, go and talk to the leaders of your employee resource groups, sit down and have real in-depth conversations. What are some of the issues that they're dealing with in your organization? What are some of the issues that they deal with outside of your organization? Yeah. Just life issues that maybe you didn't understand. When I tell people that, you know, as a black man who spent 25 years in Los Angeles, I was pulled over once a month by LAPD. And I, and I mean, I was at, at one point, I was a business school student. I was a business executive. I was pulled over once a month and harassed. I mean, I'm not talking like I just got pulled over. I got pulled over, like get out of the car, you know, blah, blah. 
and and the point with that is people were incredulous. They're like, really? You know, and uh, ha have you ever been pulled? I've never been pulled over by the police, certainly not that frequency. But that's getting into the world and understanding like why people form attitudes, right, about the world and, and the experiences that they've had feed into that. And if you haven't if you haven't taken the time to understand the journey that people have been on, then and you want to opine about, you know, police and the black community without understanding what what those some of those issues are, you're going to get you're going to, you know, the old expression, you're going to get your leg blown off in that conversation. Right. And so just take the time to understand and you and realize you may never become an expert. You, 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 it's, it takes a long time to become an expert but at least go through the journey of empathy. So you have stories. We are a storytelling culture, right? In the US in particular. And when you spend time with people and you hear about their journeys, you not only start to gain empathy, but you gain the ability to tell stories. And that's what becomes convincing to others to follow you, okay? And that's, I think that's part of what we've been missing candidly in our in our journey to move forward on diversity, equity, inclusion is storytelling. Majority population. I'm not talking about. I got plenty of stories, okay, but storytelling from the majority population um, in an empathetic way. I love that so much. It connects with a conversation you were having with um, with Karen Taylor. I think it was um, the C chief diversity officer from Workday. And she was talking about how she had done the personal work. She's like, part of it is to do the personal work so that you can stand in a place to have those courageous conversations, the uncomfortable conversations, but you've done the work, like, and it, and it is a burden on the, on the catalyst, frankly, to do the own work. But I love the call to action. You're like, the CEO came very vulnerably and you're like, and you have to do the work. I'll point you into all the work. resources, but you have to do the work. You gotta do the work. And by the way, the work is hard. Yeah. Okay? You know, um, if you've seen some of those conversations, you know, you know, this this uh, approach of mine is, uh, you know, one of the things I, I say to executives all the time is if you're if you're 35, 40 years old and you've never been the only one in the room on, yeah. a, on any occasion, then you have no idea what as a black executive or, you know, a Latino executive that you go through every single day. Like right. you don't know what that feels like, right? So so go out and find opportunities to make yourself the only one in the room. So that's you can right. understand what that feels like, right? And I think that's part of what Karen was talking about as well. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna move us on. I can ask you a million questions, but I'm gonna move. What's the biggest challenge for you as a catalyst leader in the work that you're doing today? I think that, I think it's the, the pendulum. <laughs> You know, especially with the DNI, the pendulum swings, right? And it swings one way, and we saw that with George Floyd uh, and uh, the sort of uptick in the interests around addressing issues of race and inequity in, in the country. And then it swings back the other way. And um, the the important thing, I think, for those who are who are in work like diversity and inclusion is recognizing that's the history. Like that pendulum swing is actually yeah. the history of the country. Right. It goes this way and then it goes back this way. And and so as opposed to letting that depress you 
letting that feel like it's the end of the world and means the work needs to stop or it's a complete failure. Just recognizing that pattern is actually helpful. You know, my wife and I, um, for many, many years did marriage counseling and, um, and a pre-marriage counseling actually. And one of the things we would tell couples is the, the, the thing you want to avoid in your marriage is surprises. So let us tell you some of the things that will happen in your first year of your marriage, right? So that you're not surprised, That's right? right. You're, you're going to have financial discussions. You're going to have communication issues. Here's what those look like, right? And, and what was amazing was the number of people who came back to us and said, you know what? You saved my marriage because if you hadn't told us those things, we wouldn't have anticipated them and we would have thought we were a complete failure. But you told right, us- you normalized it. It wasn't their you personal failure, you normalized it, totally. Exactly right, exactly right. And, and it's the same thing with this pendulum, right? If we can normalize it to the extent that it can be normalized, but normalize it at least in an anticipatory way, right? right? Okay, that's what happens. We go this way and then we go that way. We go this way and then we go that way. Hopefully we're not swinging back farther than we swung forward, but we recognize that pattern and we anticipate it. I think that, you know, that it, it's, it's always troubling, but, um, you know, I've, I've kind of started to acclimate myself to it, but I'm not sure everybody has. Um, and so I think it, it can be highly disruptive to the work, right? When, when that thing swings back and forth. And I think we're in one of those periods right now. Yeah. And I think it's, it's similar to a conversation I had with uh, a mentor of mine. We're talking about the economy, right? So if you've never lived through a, a recession, then a boom. And there was like a lot of people in their thirties came into the job market in there, in, you know, right after, you know, 2008. And this is their first kind of dip. And so you're not used to that. And I think in a similar way, you named a little while ago that, you know, this work, you know, we've been a function, like a fully representative democracy for like 50 years, you know, in comparison to the 400 years of ex this experiment. And so uh, you've spoken in other contexts about muscle strength and how uh, that pendulum swinging is kind of like us building the muscle that we need to kind of continue this work uh, to even get to the point where maybe we have another, the other side of time of 400 years or whatever of, of this type of uh, experience for folks. Um, so as you kind of navigate these pendulum swings, how do you sustain yourself uh, from an emotional standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from relational connection standpoint? How do you, how do you kind of find a way through the difficult times um, uh, for yourself? Yeah, I, I'm not going to kid you. Okay, I, I'm a praying man, and and I, I I rely a lot on my prayer and faith to get me through um, uh, difficult times, whether they're work related, whether they're vision execution related, whether they're personal uh, issues or crises. Um, so that's that's number one. I, I lean a lot on God, and my relationship there has gotten me through many many. Uh, challenging times. Let me put it that mm -hmm. way. Um, secondly, uh, you know, I, I remember years ago, um, my, my father who passed away a few years back, he used to say, you know, if, if in your whole lifetime, if you have five or six people that you can really call friends, you're really fortunate and blessed. And I remember when he first told me that I didn't quite understand it because I thought I had a lot of friends and, you know, a lot of people in my life, et cetera. I've come to realize exactly what he was talking about, right? 
which is a group of, of people, whatever the number might be, it, it usually in 30, okay? It may be more than four, but it's not 30. Um, a group of people in your life who are there with you when things are going well um, and when things aren't going well. And I often say to people, you know, when you're in a time of serious crisis, um, whatever that might be, financial, health, job, you name it, um, personal, uh, you know, mental health, and you look around, the people who are standing next to you are the only friends you ever had, right? And so I, I have learned to lean on that group of people um, who is a, it's a small but mighty group of people, including my family, my direct family, and, and a few others. Um, and and that, that also helps to get me through. And then the third thing that I think is, is back to this sense of optimism. You know, um, if, if a lot of the studies have shown that, you know, optimistic people live longer or healthier, et cetera. But I have just found that um, I can't carry negative energy. I, I can't, I can't do it. Mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and part of the reason why I jettison negative energy and try to get back to, I'm not going to focus on that person who, you know, did me wrong or whatever. Right. I'm not going to do it. Um, is uh, I've come to realize the truth, which is that person forgot all about me 10 years mm-hmm. later. And I'm, I'm sitting here holding on to the energy. Like, well, well, why am I burning, burning myself up, giving myself an ulcer? And, mm-hmm. and that person has moved on. And if you said to them, you know, Blair or, or Justin or, or Shannon, they'd be like, Shannon, who? I don't even remember <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the conversation. I don't, you know, Blair, who? Right. And so, so you have to learn to get rid of things and keep your eye on the prize and the beauty of life. Like, and I'm, I know I'm waxing a little philosophical here, but bear with me for a second. Because if you can wake up every day, and look around and, and marvel at how amazing everything is, right? How amazing it is that our body works with the millions of things that have to go right for you to get up out mm-hmm. of the bed. How amazing mm-hmm. it is that the beauty of the sunshine and the trees and whatever it is that you're looking at that day. It, it's spectacular. And so marvel in that, and it helps you to, to recenter you on optimism. And that optimism is liberating. Right. Mm. Get rid of some of those thoughts of I'm going to get even with that person or I got this axe to grind against my Uncle George who did me wrong 25 years. If you're carrying that energy, Uncle George has moved on. Fred, the, the you know, the business colleague has moved on. I mean, whoever it is, they probably mm-hmm. don't remember any of that. And so that has also helped me um, as a mechanism, as a coping mechanism, quite frankly, centering myself right. on being optimistic and getting rid of some of the things that would otherwise occupy my thoughts and my energy and prohibit me from doing things that I think I'm called to do in this world. I just can't, I can't do it. It actually, the, the research has shown it actually shortens your life. Like if, if you are focused on those negative things, you actually will live less. You actually mm. will live. And, and while you're here, it will be a worse life. So yeah. like, what? Yeah. Why? And, right? and if we as, as, these practitioners of this work, 
if that happens to us, then that affects the work in a long way. And we talk about that with Catalyst as well. If we burn out, then that affects the, our capacity to affect change uh, in systems way. So thank, so thank you so much for this, Blair. And, you know, I think both Shane and I, you know, wish we could go on for, for, a, for, for a lot longer because uh, there's so much wisdom that you have uh, for us and for our listeners. And so we're going to get into some rapid fire questions. So uh, we, we try to move through these and, and kind of get, get our guests to kind of give us some, some quick uh thoughts about these different questions and they're a bit fun but they're also I think very helpful and we get a lot from these as well uh, and so the first rapid fire question is uh, one thing you do to prepare for a big meeting perhaps with the, the president of the United States you know or someone else but uh, anyone you know it's interesting people people ask that question and uh, I've been asked it before and I, my word my one word answer is really simple I practice I practice and I practice a lot and, and if I'm giving a speech or I'm, I'm leading a session, you know, people think, you, you know, really good speakers get up and wing it. Really good speakers don't get up and wing it, you know, any more than a really good actor gets up and does whatever they're going to do. People who are good at this practice and they get better and then they learn from and they watch the videotape and they learn what they did well and what they didn't. So um, so practice that practice make, makes perfect thing is is very applicable. That's great. Thank you so much for that. All right. Second question is, uh, what's one thing you like to do when you have a free day? Uh, my family is, you know, the most important thing to me on this earth and uh, above anything I've ever done in my career, I'd give up every, th every aspect of my career tomorrow for my family. Um, and so when I have free time hanging around with my kids who are just incredible human beings, hanging around with my wife, who's the wind beneath my wings and 26 years of marriage. Uh, that's what, that's what I do. I, I, I can't get enough of them. And so um, I try to spend as much time as I can with them because they recharge me too. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and then the third question is uh, who is your favorite uh, catalyst uh, alive or dead? So I had a mentor um, and uh, I'll, I'll try to be quick with this. I know it's rapid fire, but um, a, a gentleman named Winston Doby, um, who was the vice chancellor at UCLA when I was there in business school and uh, went on to be the highest ranking African-American in the UC system. Um, probably next to my father, my own biological father, the greatest man I've ever met in my life. And, um, and just, you know, he had a he had a way of being and a way of um, engaging and moving things forward. And he once said to me something I never forgot, which I've tried to do in my life, and I probably haven't done it very well. Um, I try, but you know, it's aspirational again, right? Like I'll never get the perfection. Um, uh, but he said, you know, he said, Blair, I, I'm not the guy who in a meeting has to bowl you over with my ideas. I, I, he said, I, I'm the guy who sits back and listens uh, intently to the conversation and then asks the pivotal question that moves the discussion forward. And I thought like his style of leadership, his ability to get things done, his ability to galvanize what we talked about, which is a group of you know, collective IQ and great thinkers. I've never seen anyone do that better. Um, so I uh, lost uh, great man, but his memory lives on and uh, hopefully his spirit lives on in me and thousands of other people that he touched. So 
Yeah. I just have to say that's such good advice for Catalyst because we often think that we are the smartest people in the room. Like, well, yes. <laughs> Imagine that. listening first. Listen yeah. first and then and then move. Yeah. And thank you for sharing about him with us and, and continuing that legacy and, and sharing that. And hopefully that goes on through this podcast um, and people who listen to this episode. How, how would you uh, like, what would you like us to do? What's a call to action that you'd like to share with the listeners as we end today? You know, I, I want to go back to this, this lead from where you are idea. You know, um, I think many of us sort of live our life like it's a dress rehearsal for life and you know like when, when I get to this stage that's when I'll start kicking in and becoming a leader and thinking about things differently and moving the ball and you know life is short it goes by really quickly um, you ask somebody who's 50 years old uh, and they'll tell you yesterday they were 25 and mm -hmm. and that's how quickly those 25 years go by and if you don't believe me ask somebody who's 50 and they'll tell you the same uh, the, the same answer and so um so, so lead from where you are, look around and, and recognize what you can do today to change the world, to make your employee space better, to make your company better, to make your job better, your colleagues, your family, whatever it is that you can do. And, and I, I often, you know, break that down to a micro level, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult concept to think I'm going to go out and change everything and all these different problems that we talked about, right? But if you can if you can touch the life of a single person this year who's outside of your immediate family and just say, I'm going to change the trajectory of this young person and I can do that. I can be a mentor. I can be a coach. I can provide some resources and funds. I can help send a kid to college who wouldn't go. I can I can do these kinds of things that are catalytic, not just for me, but for somebody else who's then going to go and, and be catalytic again. I love the cascading aspect mm. of touching somebody else's life because what happens is that person now is um is prepared to go out and touch somebody else's life right that's what happens when you change somebody's life they go and they go okay now i'm going to go and change someone's life and um and so it's just it's really is it's really simple lead from where you are recognize you have power too many of us don't think we have power yet oh when i get power then i'm really you got power okay the fact that you're here and breathing, you got power. Use it um, to your advantage and and use it in the best way that you can. And and it's I just keep finding it service to others is the is the gift of life. Like you know, the the, the most content people I've ever met have realized that this life is about service to others. And and the the most the most miserable people I've ever met who may be some of the wealthiest people in the world have not realized many of them have not realized that. And they think it's about how many cars you have in the driveway or whatever. I'm not against any of that stuff. So I'm not, I, that's not what I'm saying, but if that's your end, mm -hmm. it's probably not going to lead to contentment. So. Thank you for all of the lives that you've already touched Blair. So, so many lives. You'll be touching some through this podcast. It's such a great call to action. We need a groundswell of catalyst change makers to create that better, more just, equitable world. So thank you. thank you. Oh, thank you both for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you for the thought-provoking questions and keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Blair. To our listeners, so much for thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the podcast, uh, the book, sorry, Move Fast, Break, Shit, Burn Out. 
And if you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. And if you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way.